This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we uh, are on our second watch now of season four, episode seven, titled Something Stupid. What do you think of this on second watch? Um, it's about like I thought the first time. Um, it is without commercials just over 40 minutes. And there's about uh, some guy on Reddit did analysis on this. There's about eight and a half minutes of montage. So it is it feel it, it feels even lighter than usual for the show, which already can kind of be light on on plot. Um, but you know, I don't want to harp on the show's pacing any more than I already do. So other than that, it's a good episode. It, um, you know, I think if you do the time jump, there's a couple things I'd be concerned about. Uh, number one, that you'd miss out on all the things that contribute to Kim and Jimmy's relationship finally exploding. Number two, what the fuck's going on? Nacho. I think they nailed the first part. Like, I don't even need to see anything more to believe. Like, if next episode Kim just said, get out of my apartment, I'm I'm already there. In fact, I was there this episode. Uh, I'm really curious to see how they bring Nacho back into the story. Because part of me is wondering if, if they'll just, like, you know, they left him in a fucking pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And, like, are they going to come back in nine months and he's just going to be a tenderized piece of meat or... Or, or, or what? Like, because that's just, you know, or maybe I guess after Gus squeezed out some, some local competition, he's con- content to let Nacho be a stealth guy. I don't know. I don't know. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think I maybe enjoyed it a little bit on the second watch. I didn't have as much problem with the uh, copious musical montages that they were uh, doing in this episode. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's really been throughout this series my only complaint is the style of it is a little bit uh stately we'll say uh and and i guess when i go back and i watch it it never feels as bad as it does on the first watch because i'm always i guess looking for the excitement looking for something to happen on that first Mm -hmm. watch and i guess on the second watch i can settle in a little bit more Mm -hmm. and know okay they're going to get to a point here uh this is going to be a good episode because i've already seen it i know uh, so on second watch, yeah, I thought it was a little bit better. Yeah, I um, I don't know because I, 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 like I said, I don't want to say it's a bad episode. It's just um, I feel like that my meta criticism of the whole show, whenever all this is said and done, is probably could have been twenty percent shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like I don't, I, I don't not like the montages. I thought they're individually clever and interesting. Um, it's just like when the content of montage to show is like one to three, it's, it's, it's a little, like I said, it just feels light on content. And again, Mm -hmm. this is the only show that I routinely have less than a page. I have a page and three lines, one page of notes and three of three lines on this page two for, and I think this is the shortest out. I could have probably fit into one page, 
most shows are like three to four. Some of them, like uh, a particularly de- dense episode of of like Game of Thrones or something, could do five to seven pages. It's just it is light. It is light on content, very heavy on style, which mm-hmm. is okay. But it's it's uh, I don't know. I I feel like I sh- I don't know. I feel like that's just. We're, we're, what it is is these last three episodes are the stretch episodes we got very early on of last season where there's just not much going on and you, we know there's going to be a, a roller coaster ride at the end of the finale and I just uh, and the, the penultimate episode I, I kind of just want to want to get there yeah uh, I gotta say on on second watch I really also appreciated one of the montages the one you're talking about up front you know that they kind of nailed uh, I listened to the Breaking Bad Insider podcast and they were talking at length about this season this scene uh in particular and you know they must have spent at least 40 to 50 percent of the podcast talking about it uh yeah i listened i listened i gotta finally got to listen to it today too and yeah it it was uh it was a lot yeah which i guess is warranted you know it was easily the trickiest thing for them to film um and it also i think was pretty impactful and it was important to this episode right we needed if we're going to do a time jump it's got to be uh, it's got to make a lot of sense. It's got to be interesting. And I think they filmed it in the most visually interesting way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff in there that I like, and maybe we should just kind of get into talking about the, the first scene. Let's do it. Hey, everybody, before we get started into the episode, I uh, want to talk about what's going on here at baldmove.com. Uh, each week we have coverage of David Simon's The Deuce on HBO. Uh, we're watching that on the Bald Move TV feed. Uh, we're also doing, as you know, Better Call Saul. My wife and I started an American Horror Story podcast, or we're continuing it. We've been doing it for many, many years, uh, covering this season, uh, American Horror Story Apocalypse. That We have an instant takeout tonight, right after the episode airs, and we have a feedback podcast out Friday. Uh, Jim and I saw the Nick Cage art house, splatter house uh, horror movie Mandy for Bald Movies this week, if you want to check that out. Um also, for club members, we're doing the Empire Business podcast, which is where we talk about a behind-the-scenes uh, look at uh, internet startups such as ours, a podcasting startup, and like the financials and how we make decisions and things we're planning on the future. This week, we interviewed Jason Cabasi from uh, the Walking Dead podcast about building a podcast network. Uh, and next week, we have one on uh, our, our trip to the podcast movement in Philadelphia. Uh, finally, before we get to the episode, I want to remind everyone uh, to vote if you're an American uh, and also to be aware of your registration status. You can go to sites such as vote.org or headcount.org to check your registration. And that's important, even if you've been registered for a long time, uh, especially if you've moved, because a lot of states are changing the way they do uh, registering for elections and some people are getting removed off the rolls. It's also important to like if you've like been divorced and your name's changed or you're going you're a student and you're not living with your parents anymore go to vote.org, headcount.org make sure you're registered. It's fast it's easy and you can also register uh, online or get instructions on how to do so. And you don't want to wait because a lot of states also don't have same-day registration and have arbitrary cutoffs like three weeks before the election. So go to vote.org or headcount.org, participate in democracy, make sure you're ready to go, uh, and we'll all be better off for it. All right, we start off with uh, that split-screen montage of Jimmy and Kim living together but drifting farther apart. Kim builds uh, out the banking branch of Schweikert and Coakley while Jimmy builds out his shady cell phone business. So this split-screen... Uh, I really appreciate it on second watch. I think they do some really great stuff, you know, with kind of lining up, mirroring shots on both sides of the frame, uh, which was really cool to kind of show them 
in the same space, but they also do something that is so easy. It's so simple. It's so like rudimentary, but yet it works so effectively in my opinion, which is just put a freaking black bar right down the middle of a single shot. Mm-hmm. Because to me that shows like that bar is the emotional disconnect, whereas they're in the physical same space, you know? Right. And it, it does so much. It, it's such a simple technique and does so much heavy lifting emotionally in this scene. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you, because I, I remember in the instant talk podcast, I was like, I'm not sure why they doubled up them on the AB side, but you're supposed to understand that the left side is Kim and the right side is Jimmy. Yeah. And by the end of the episode, or by the end of the, not the episode, by the end of the montage, they're uh, not brushing their teeth together. In fact, yep. there's an image of their backs to each other. So you're right. It is, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not super, comp- I mean, it was super complicated to, to carry off. Uh-huh. Um, and I, rem- I remember having a distinctly, like, uh, Saul realization when they're talking to the director and she's talking about how, like, they had to measure out with the tape measure and all this stuff, like... This reminds me of the French guy versus the German guy. Uh-huh. Like, because Vince is like, man, I, I thought they could just get you a monitor there in the director station where you could just put a freeze frame. In. And I, I felt like I heard in the director like, uh, shit, why didn't I think of that? Because I did it like the fucking hard way. I should have done it. But yeah. um, no, I mean, it, it's, it's very complicated. And the way they had to like storyboard it out, because like, you know, something like this. It's not like a Rocky montage where you can just get a bunch of B-roll and just kind of fling it together. Like, they had to tell a particular story. They need certain shots. They, like... I mean, this is this is the... This is why I love a show like this, because they sweat the details. It's like the Lord of the Rings production. Uh, the costume designer talked about how, in real life, Kim, you know, doesn't have a ton of money. So she's not like those one of those women is just going to wear something and some bespoke item and throw it away at the end of the day because, fuck, I'm wearing that again. So she mixes and matches her outfits. You see outfits that she's worn in previous episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the outfits repeat because, you know, shit. I just have to wear cargo shorts and fucking T-shirts, and I repeat all. I mean, I don't have infinity T-shirts, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that's not blouses and pantsuits. Those things seem like they cost money. They do. Uh, so yeah, it, uh, there was a lot of sweat into it, and and it does exactly what it does exactly what they need to do, which is telling the story of Jim and Kim, Kimmy, Kimmy and Jimmy, Kim and Jimmy, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh-huh. uh, drift drifting apart. Um, I did I did see one thing on Reddit that I thought was a really cool detail, which is there's a one point where Jimmy is flipping the sign from open to closed. Uh, and the the door says it's a Mother's Day sale, giving back to mom. And then he flips the sign over and says, sorry, we missed you, which a lot of people are, you know, the Bravo Vince crowd is saying that that is uh, a callback to last season. We found out that Jimmy went across the street to get a sandwich at the exact moment his mother died. Uh, then what is the Labor Day and the Independence Day one about? <laughs> Well, Labor Day is about his mother giving birth to him, and okay. Independence uh-huh. Day is the day he first moved out of their house. The day Obviously. he was emancipated from his terrible mother, who yeah, hated him. <laughs> and the few, and, and the bright green uh, vest represents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his his yearning for his youth and his return to verdant yep. pastures and 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 fertile headspace. Uh, no, nah, I don't. Know. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought it was a cool little detail. Yeah, uh, that stuff always becomes a bit much for me. Uh, when you start ascribing things like that. But yeah, I I, I don't know. How much do they do that on this show? The answer is probably not zero. 
I do like some of the symmetry of these shots. Like they're they're I think on maybe the final shot of this one. No, the final shot is them in bed. Um close to that, they show Kim at her office with this kind of box on her desk. Mm-hmm. And they show Jimmy at the the kitchen uh with the fish tank on the countertop and they're kind of very very symmetrical images. Uh and you know, showing them in different locations, kind of doing you know, their own thing, right? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. I, I liked a lot. Just yeah. the symmetry of the visuals. Uh, and apparently, you know, th- several, several months have passed. About eight months, I think, uh, have passed because we go from June 2003 to sometime in 2004. Later on, Jimmy says, you know, I got a month until I can become a lawyer again. Uh, and we get a business card. Uh, that says, need to call, buy from Saul. So this is kind of approaching the the better call Saul stuff did you happen to call that phone number i didn't no uh it's pretty funny because it's 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 jimmy as saul and he has a rhyming like a 30 second long rhyming voicemail ad about huh you know if you need to make a private call remember to give saul a call or so i don't know it's like it's 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 I think Vince Gilligan loves to do this because mm-hmm. every single time, usually, you know, uh, a place will give a 555 number. They always give real numbers and they always are hooked up to some kind of crazy shit. Yeah. Uh, so I thought those are continue to be nice Easter eggs for the fans. How long do you maintain one of those if you put those up? S- someone said on Reddit that the one they did in season four of Breaking Bad is still active. Wow. So okay. forever 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 until, yeah uh, I, I i wonder if vince himself sets them up and if so like i guess until vince's estate r- runs out of money or the companies go out of business that you probably can still call him uh the one other thing about the scene that i wanted to mention is the song apparently there was just a giant problem getting the music for this scene because it's yeah. a it's a sinatra song and it's a duet between frank and his daughter uh, and apparently it's just astronomically expensive to license that song. And they already had budget constraints for the season. They were kind of running over. Uh, so they decided to commission a cover of this song. And they had a whole process, like went out to a bunch of people because Sony wanted to own the music. And it was sure. it's a whole thing. Like if you want to know the details, like go listen to the Insider cast because it's really good. They go into depth on it. It's- but I, I found it fascinating, like just... The logistics, the amount of time, like weeks of negotiation to arrange one song for one scene. Yeah, and it's it's like the fact that you can do it from scratch and it's cheaper. Yeah, uh, is kind of crazy. The other thing is, um, they mentioned that the the Sinatra song was just too short. It was like less right. than three minutes long. So doing the commission because like this montage is something like just under five minutes. Mm-hmm. So they could do the custom arrangement and 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 have it meet exactly beat for beat the shots they want, which is probably a nice feature too. Mm-hmm. All right, we move on to Jimmy giving Huell a tour of his potential new law office, seemingly as a dry run for pitching Kim on it. Uh, Huell has some interesting ideas about the financials uh, of lawyering. Apparently, he thinks, you know, you become a lawyer. The day you become a lawyer, you move into your high rise office, you get a boat. And only you just if you're chill. good. Only if yeah. you're a good lawyer. Guess Jimmy's uh, no good. Yeah, you're right, because I, I wondered about whether this was if Jimmy had kind of accepted the fact that Kim's not in on Wexler McGill. But in in subsequent watches, he says, says, and this is the partner's office. So he yeah. he's buying this property with an eye to bring someone, hint, hint, Kim Wexler, into the practice. Uh, yeah. And the rest of this episode is him getting a mud hole stomped into that fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, he's got, it's like, it's, it's funny how he's, you can see, like, you, when you first watch, you're not sure if it's Huel or Kim or somebody, but you can see that the way Jim pitches this, he's not comp, or the Jimmy's pitching this is he's not confident, and he's pitching a bunch of shit that Kim doesn't give a shit about, like, a, a uh, assortment of tea and original fixtures and, you know, four blocks from the courthouse. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I mean, it seems, I guess, four blocks is pretty good, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's also a long hoof if you're a, a guy looking for a public defender, I guess, but... I don't know. He's he's painting a word picture. Painting uh, a word picture, but it's not, again, it's not tailored to... It's so funny because he's so good at at giving marks what they want and i think kim is a mark she is falling mm-hmm. for his bullshit but it's he's not really ever tried never really tries to sell her in language that she would appreciate i guess uh, i don't know what language kim would appreciate do you have like an idea of of what you think the um, pitch should be instead of this well for one thing it's just kind of like it's it's the it's the vegas it's the Vegas sign, right? Like, that's not something Kim... Kim would be horrified to have sure, a giant yeah. Las Vegas sign. And I also think that, like, this crummy, run-down, clearly residential building masquerading as... It does seem low-rent and homespun. Like, mm-hmm. it might... It, although, maybe you can make an argument that this is kind of like an Atticus, Atticus Finch law firm. Uh-huh. That's, that's the only thing, like... And then if Jimmy wanted to sell it, he'd get a whole bunch of fucking... Uh, what the hell is that? <laughs> Why to kill a mockingbird posters and book covers and you know and like hang those up prominently and get get a mockingbird picture of a mockingbird for example I don't know uh <laughs> go go for broke on the sentimentality the sentimentality that Kim might feel towards that imagery because otherwise it's just a ramshackle you know ambulance chasing kind of lawyer type of place to be it seems like to me. It does feel one step removed from a strip mall, you know, yeah, where yeah. he eventually ends up. So, uh, yeah, I can see why she might not like it. All right, we go over to Hector, who's making some progress on his therapy by tapping his finger on the table. Uh, he's also able to knock a glass over so that he can get a good look at the nurse's ass, which will come back later to, to haunt him for the rest of his life, literally. Yeah, he's like, I wish I could tap that. <laughs> Jesus. Uh... <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's he's locked into this uh, fuck this 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 body, and uh, mm-hmm. he's still Hector because I mean, I, it's interesting that they use that as a way to um, introduce us to the idea that it's still Hector because like they never really make Hector seem like he's a big lecherous ladies' man. Uh, yeah, I don't but think I, he's I ever do feel like screen with a lady. Uh, although no, I'm sure to get fair. corrected by that next week. Uh, I do feel like it comes with the package though. Like th- I, that didn't come out of left right? field at all. No, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, Don Hector is infamous amongst the cartel, even the cartel for sexually harassing the female. Oh, I, right. I, I'm shocked. Shocked. I, I don't believe it. It's not entirely in his character. Uh, yeah. No. I, I. I get it. But it's interesting that that's. Uh, it's. It's interesting because I'm sure Vince and Peter would have rather had a trait that the audience associates with Hector be the thing that lights up uh, Gus's eyes, because then we could have that realization exact same time as Saul does and that makes the the whole illusion that much stronger but instead they go with something that we're like yeah that sounds about right that sounds like Hector Mm -hmm. uh and do that so because if they did if they had the first thing they wouldn't even need this scene they could just play the Gus could just watch the tape and then we'd realize along with him oh yes Hector's still in there all right because only Hector would do 
Only Hector would eat an apple that way, or only he- Hector would would peel a banana, you know. But but they're 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 doing what they're doing. <laughs> and by eat an apple that way, you mean have it chopped up and served to him because he can't move his body. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that. Uh, all right, Kim drags Jimmy to a company party where he schmoozes with everyone. He gets a good look at Kim's office, which is bigger than anything a partnership with him could ever offer her. And then he gets drunk and makes an ass of himself, uh, and by extension, Kim, in front of Schweikert. And on the drive home, they pointedly don't talk about it. There's actually a lot of nice symmetry here, too, because um, it begins with Kim kind of assuring Jimmy and saying, hey, oh, yeah, go talk to anyone, have fun, and patting him on the leg. And then Mm -hmm. at the end, you know, there's all this space and hostility between them, and Jimmy reaches over, and it looks like he's going to pat her leg, but instead he activates the radio, Mm -hmm. which just shows, like, you know, if the montage didn't do it enough, this is just showing, like, what a fucking clusterfuck this relationship has become. Yeah, Uh, I mean, it's it's an extension of how he dealt with Chuck, right? Which is mm -hmm. to not think about it, to not talk about it, to not let his emotions show. Uh, He's doing the same here. You know, he's very... he's, He's sad, in this scene he's sad that he doesn't have a shot with kim right mm-hmm. she's never going to be lured into his his web well, uh, that's, of partnership that's that's the stupid thing though right like he doesn't need to lure kim into a relationship like he might not be able to have the exact relationship with her that he wants and that that they work together live together sleep together 24 7 kim and jimmy oh my god uh, which sounds kind of like a nightmare to me, um, <laughs> but you know he he could like it, it, he's been tryharding and pushing this shit way too hard from almost the beginning. Um, sure. So now it's like every time when I, I was struck when I was watching this the second time when he's looking over these trophies and all this shit, he's like, oh man, I couldn't give this to Kim. Well, maybe she doesn't want you to, jackass, because she can go out and get it herself. Like you know what you know what Kim can't get from Schweikert and Coakley or whatever the hell their name is they he, she can't get like the sense of fun and like the we you know the excitement of like maybe scamming some sleaze bag out of a thousand dollar bottle of tequila or something you know like that like why are you ah you can't well it's, Jimmy it's, is just an intensely frustrating guy for me to watch but it's because it's not what he wants you know I mean as much as he needs to let Kim have what she wants, then I think also he he's disappointed that he can't have exactly what he wants. And I understand that. Like mm-hmm. I understand why look he's got this vision in his head and it's not it's not destined to be uh and that would bum you out, right? I think that's true of anything, whether it's a relationship or a career or whatever it is. I understand why Jimmy's so sad mm-hmm. uh and so disappointed in this whole thing. There's nothing he can do about it. You know, he he needs to let Kim be Kim, but I I guess like he should be sad. What I what I don't like is that he's not talking about it, right? He's not mm-hmm. telling Kim how he feels. He's simply going about. He's throwing a tantrum. He's throwing a tantrum in this scene. Do you? So we got some feedback that is going to take the tack of Jimmy is not as big as an unwashed washed asshole as the show wants us to think here. That Schweikert was a little bit of the aggressor. Um. I, hmm. I I just want to put okay. that put that seed into your brain so when it we we can harvest it later and feedback because uh, I, I also tried to theory, and even if I think my where I'd come down is even if you persuade me that Schweikert was the aggressor I'd still be like time and place man time mm-hmm. and place yeah like this party is not for you to to punch Schweikert in his arrogant lawyer nose metaphorically you know it's for you to smile and be friendly and not embarrass Kim. 
I do think it's nice that Kim has managed to do exactly what she set out to do in her career. She's both done the PPD work. She's also built out this bank branch uh, within Schweikert and Coakley. She's, by all accounts, succeeding in every area of her life, except perhaps uh, personally, romantically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah, if we don't have to perhaps it, it's her, her home life's not what she surely wants it to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, they did that great in the montage and then reinforce it with Jimmy seeing the both the plaques and the the thank yous from the many defendants that she has meaningfully defended. So, yeah, that's nice. It is. Um, and also, I thought it was troubling that she introduces Jimmy simply as Jimmy McGill, not my boyfriend, Jimmy, not my live in lover, Jimmy, <laughs> just yeah. Jimmy McGill, you know, not I mean, she can't introduce him as a lawyer right now because he's not. But. Yeah, but my boyfriend, and that's the other yeah. thing is, like, I feel like that this this kind of comes back and play at the end of the episode where she's having to fight with the prosecutor. Like, I don't know that the prosecutor, if she knew that she was dating Jimmy, would have gone there with her. But because I feel yeah. like you're supposed to understand that Kim has been keeping and has always kept their relationship a little bit on the down low professionally, mm-hmm. probably because she knows eventually Jim Jimmy will will embarrass the shit out of her. Yeah. Uh, you know that 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 uh, devastating blow comes in out of nowhere so then there's a musical scene of the germans being loaded into a truck and take it to the super lab where they work uh the work on the lab is progressing seems at a, a decent clip although we find out that you know they're eight months in and only about halfway done so not not too uh not too expedited uh. I, I gotta really wonder like okay a couple of episodes ago eight months ago um Mike was brought in by Gus to oversee this whole operation, uh, to get the Germans on track, to set up the facility, to keep the the super lab uh, project on rails. I wonder what Victor and Tyrus think about that, because Mike is very much a Johnny come lately to this operation. They've been in it much longer than him, and I don't see them as incompetent. I don't know why Gus would see them as incompetent, but he does not trust any of them, or at least he doesn't task any of them with this operation why yeah it is interesting this i've never thought of it that way that like like it'd be one thing if tyrus and victor were goofballs and you got the idea that gus is like finally finally (laughs) i got a strong right arm i can rely on but these guys look have always looked extremely competent and confident in in Mm -hmm. their ability to do exactly what uh gus is, is, is is asked for them so yeah i I don't have a great I, – I, I don't think that they've ever played it like they resent Mike. No, Certainly they not haven't. in the Breaking Bad era because, mm-hmm. you know, Mike has got sub, sub, substance to him too. And I think maybe he's got a little bit more creep and finesse than those two guys do. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what this project's all about. Um, and security background, I think, which was important for this project. Yeah, yeah. So I – that's a that's a good point, and I, I like I said, it doesn't seem like the show is interested in exploring it. But you'd think guys that are ambitious and smart like those two would kind of take exception to that. Yeah. Uh, anything um, else about this this scene? Yeah, I do. Like something that Seppenwall pointed out that I didn't even realize it, um, is that you can squint and kind of see the super lab already. Yeah. Like the way the scaffold and the way you access it and come down in the staircases, that stuff is. That's going to be like it's certainly not in its final form. It's under construction, but uh, mm-hmm. I remember being a little disappointed when you just saw it was like a hole in the ground. I'm like, well, I was kind of expecting like putting the finishing touches on the super lab, but it is kind of cool that you can see this the the endoskeleton of it. 
You can. And I think I can see where the eight months of work um, could only be half the job, too, because, you know, he's talked about blasting out the elevator, which we know right. it eventually gets an elevator. Right. Um, I went back and I looked at the Super Lab, and it has a lot of support structure that doesn't seem mm. to be in place yet because you've got all these pillars, right. uh, these metal pillars that get knocked over, which are supporting the roof right now. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of building out to do. You know, the it seems like the hole is basically dug. You know, they have mm. one more blast. Uh, but then the building out is going to be the rest of it. Well, plus it's like I, I saw the, where the concrete forms are going to be. Like that's where those like bonus rooms are, like the little Walt's uh-huh. kind of side office and, and whatnot. There's yeah, it's like I said, you can you can definitely kind of squint and be like, oh, yeah, that's just going to that's what this is all going to be. Yeah. Uh, OK, Gus is making dinner for his bought and paid for John Hopkins doctor. Uh, he wants to know if Hector is the Hector he knew before. She's unsure, but Gus realizes that he is when he sees the look on Hector's face while uh, Hector's ogling the nurse's ass. And he decides that Hector has made enough progress, and he puts an end to the doctor's work with him. Uh, we kind of talked about this in the Instant Talk podcast, but man, this is a fucked up thing to do to Hector. And I get it. He's an enemy. You know, he's he's done really bad things to you. But oof, trapping trapping someone when they have the prospect of getting better, uh, trapping someone in the the position that Hector's in is a rough thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's pretty malicious. But then again, Gus is, a, as we've found out in the last few weeks, is a really bad dude, and so is Hector. So yeah. it's kind of like a spider eating another spider. Like, that's a bad way to go, but you guys are both spiders, so mm-hmm. fair is fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the guy that almost drowned his cousin for, to, to teach some point about narking, like or mm-hmm. his own nephew to teach some point about narking. Like he's he's a he's they're all bad dudes, all bad dudes. And this seems to be Gus's mode of operation: is making dinner for the people who he wants to have a conversation with, who are working with him. Yeah. Uh, we see that later in Breaking Bad; he does that with Walt. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily a harbinger of bad things to come. It's simply. This is where his conversations with civilians, people who he doesn't have to be afraid of being seen with, happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a way for him to like sell them on the idea. Because I say, I don't think this Johns Hopkins doctor knows that. I mean, I don't think she knows that Gus is like working for the cartel and all that. She just thinks I don't know how. I don't know because she seems surprised when Gus is like, "Oh yeah, you're done now." Because like I felt like he sold her as like, "Oh, you know, this is an old family friend, and he's been stricken by this, and blah blah blah." So I don't know. It seems like the doctor, unless she has her head completely up her ass, would see the cousins with their shark tooth suits and their <laughs> silver skull boots and be draw certain conclusions. Uh-huh. Like maybe they're the baddies, but then again, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but it's funny because like it's almost like I, I had a little bit of like. Would this be a violation of one's Hippocratic oath, like to know that a person's not in? Then I really well, this is America, so if the money runs out, then mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, what, what what does maximum medical improvement mean in this context? So sure, but yeah, like I don't know because I, I also thought it's like, well, maybe are we supposed to understand that she's a recipient of one of Gus's, you know, scholarships? Because, like, because, you know, the, we know he does that with, like, I mean, isn't that how he got the other doctor? And certainly it's how he got Gail. And, like, I it, I could see him being, it'd be very useful to spread around these scholarships all over. But, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't, I, I don't know. I never quite got that out of this relationship. I got that it was more of a spur-of-the-moment thing with a grant um, where he kind of came in and corrupted uh, an otherwise, you know, upstanding doctor. And right. she doesn't even realize it, you know. She doesn't know. 
right like you said she should probably know what the sharks can suit some boots but right uh, yeah she doesn't really know what the situation is here she knows they got a lot of money and she was asked to come here and help this person and she did indeed uh so we move on to werner telling mike that they need one more blast to finish the job uh they're interrupted by an accident that takes down one of the support pillars in the super lab Kai picks a fight with the person at fault, and Mike has to step in to keep things under control. Yep, the man Shroud has to scream in German. It took a lot of out, out of him, too. Like, you can see yeah. when, when they cut back to him, he's just like, oh. Uh, yeah, the little ugh of despair that he gives. It's, <laughs> it's very, very, very fun. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think Mike's I, voice has ever gone that, that loud. Yeah. They said on the instant uh, or the you know, the official podcast, this was a real bitch of a scene to film too, because you know you had this big practical stunt and a confined space and mm-hmm. you know all the lighting and all that other stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I thought I, it's and it's like I guess you're supposed to understand that this is kind of a sloppy error because the guys have kind of lost their edge a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and the guys not making it better by getting up someone's ass about it. Yeah. No, Kai is definitely a problem, which we'll we'll talk about when Mike comes to visit them. Uh, but it does make me wonder, you know, I, I view this Werner guy as being very thorough um, and probably having enough supports in place that, you know, the roof doesn't cave in if something like this happens. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the French guy would have had the same precautions in place. Hmm. I wonder if there's an accident on his job if the whole fucking thing just comes crashing down. Well... Uh, we have a, we have feedback from a structural engineer. It's called bullshit on this whole project. So, <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, yeah, Hollywood, Hollywood engineering. You got to think that like if the maybe the French guy had done this, because maybe the French guy's done in five months because he cut corners. Yeah, maybe. And the super lab collapses on Walt, and maybe everyone would be better off if you got yeah. the shoddy French guy. Skyler would for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, a plain a plain clothes cop approaches Jimmy to ask him to stop selling his phones to criminals. Jimmy refuses, and as they argue, Huel walks up, and he sees the situation, and he moves to intervene. Unfortunately, he's wearing headphones, and he can't hear Jimmy tell him that this guy's a cop, so Huel bashes him in the head with a bag of sandwiches, and he's arrested as Jimmy tries to uh, talk the cop out of it, and he fails. Mm. It's, it's enough enough sacks full of Italian BMTs to kill a man. Mm-hmm. And, and cans of soda, too. Yeah, that that yeah. would have that would pack a little bit of a punch. Yeah, like I wouldn't want anyone to swing at my head with even two cans of soda, even one can of soda. And, yeah. you know, like I feel like uh, later on, Kim a little undersells the assault, but a little bit. The officer, it wasn't seriously uh, injured. It didn't seem like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I. Uh, ah. Boy, it's it's interesting to see because this is another thing where Jimmy's all cocky and standing, you know, he's flexing his rights, so to speak, with the cop and like, yeah, I I'm engaged in a, a legal enterprise. What my people, what the people do with it after I sell them the products, not any of my business, which is all right and good. Uh, but then it blows up and someone that he cares about gets hurt uh, in this mm-hmm. in the scam. So, like, I don't know, like. How much do you want to talk about the ins and outs? Because like what we already talked on Instant Talk podcast, like it is kind of bullshit. It, I like I think assaulting a police officer uh, laws on the books are fine. Like they're 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 noble because you know you don't want to you, you want to don't want to add a perverse incentive to harass 
injure or outright kill cops to obstruct justice, right? So you want to make extra penalties on that. But mm-hmm. how the fuck can you charge a person with assaulting a police officer if they're plain clothes, not showing their badge, and have no other, like... I mean, this is kind of like the no-knock warrant shit. In America, what, I don't know when it's going to happen, but one of these days there's going to be a, a SWAT team that gets ramboed at somebody's house, and they're going to charge that. That guy's probably going to die, but if he miraculously lives, they're going to charge him with murdering police officers, and 3 o'clock in the morning when you beat someone's door down, how the fuck? How the fuck can you can, – can, like, even if someone screams police, like, wouldn't that, isn't that what a Russian death squad would do if they are going to kill you? yeah. Like there's there's good reasons to wear uniforms, guys, and be easily identifiable, and you know severely punish people that impersonate police officers. But like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I I think Jimmy's doing some scummy shit here, and Hulshin assaulted this guy. But on the other hand, charging him with assaulting a police officer, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk briefly about the the idea that Saul is, or Saul, Jimmy, whatever. Um, in this scene, they kind of bleed into each other is is doing something wrong versus doing something sleazy right like the the problem the the reason like i say hey we're, we might end up hating jimmy is not because jimmy is breaking the law it's not because jimmy is you know doing things that are technically illegal it's because he's a fucking scumbag right mm-hmm. like he's doing things that he knows are borderline illegal that are mm-hmm. that are hurting people right? Hurting, the, and, yeah, right and he does not care he does yes. not care. It's all in service of himself. And I mean, that's that's the more important reason in my mind to hate somebody is their their selfishness, you know, that that kind of thing. Like it it doesn't matter that what he's doing is technically legal. That's not why I'm upset with Jimmy. I'm upset with Jimmy because he's a sleaze bag. You know, no, I, I totally agree. And it, it kind of is with Mike's thesis at the start of this uh, uh, whole shebang is like there's all kinds of criminals. Mm hmm. Uh, there's like noble ones that have principles and, you know, codes of honor. And there's guys like, that's the thing that Jim, like, I don't know what Jimmy's code of honor is, except for if you can make him feel shame for something, he'll try to undo it, uh-huh. you know? Uh, but that's, if you, if you can't, and this, you know, this cop had no way, cause it's essentially, he had no way to really work Jimmy's shame button, you know, until Huel got hurt. So yeah. like, he doesn't have any principle except for, I don't want people to not like me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a scary dude. It is. I think so. Anyway, uh, I gotta I gotta point out Huel's choice of music. It's by a, a guy called Magic Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song's called "Don't Want No Woman." Uh, telling me what to do in parentheses, probably. Right. Uh, had to look it up because I thought it was a good song. You know, blues, blues, good stuff. That definitely affects the meaning of the sentence. Don't want any yeah. woman. Okay, fine. You're a man going your own way. Don't want any woman tell me what to do that, that now you're you're open to negotiation i'm not sure <laughs> right. about your no woman stance uh and i like that it's magic sam because later on uh jimmy calls himself the magic, the man, magic man which yeah. i feel like is somehow tied together yeah. uh that's probably a vince gilligan thing too well they also someone uh, on reddit pointed out that um jimmy seems to refer to the law profession as magic a lot of different times like working his magic or when chuck was yeah. there to bail him out after the chicago sunroof fiasco he's like come on chuck i need you to work your magic like the idea that law is diligent casework is completely lost on this guy it's it's right. like even his defensive fuel is going to be essentially framing the cop uh mm-hmm. and and make him look bad and like it's, it's essentially the exact same thing he did to his brother in court or in the the disbarment hearing or whatever yeah so yeah 
All right, we move on to uh, Mike visiting the German compound during nap time to see how these guys are holding up. Kai is still being a shit. Uh, Mike asks for an update after the accident, and also, what would happen if they sent Kai back to Germany? Werner says Kai is his best guy uh, on demolition, and he needs him. Uh, also, what the boys need is some R&R. They're, they're getting stir-crazy in there. What I hear with this Kai conversation, though, is we need one more blast, and yeah. we're still not halfway done. So you get this one last blast, and then you get Kai the fuck out of here. Is that where we're going? I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's he, got, he seems it can't to be, be that the major simple. problem. It can't be that simple. He's going to, like, kill a hooker on this uh, R&R retreat, and it's it, and Mike's going to have to Tom Hagen him. I don't know. I that, yeah. that, that, it, It's not going to be as simple as Kai does his last thing and gets out of here. There's going to be a complication. There's going to be a couple half or three-quarter measures. That's my yeah. prediction. I, I mean, they, they don't set this this situation up this scenario up only to resolve it swiftly and cleanly right no no not typically <laughs> that's not breaking bad and better call Saul style uh so he will get the news of the amount of jail time that he's gonna be looking at uh, and he tells jimmy look i'm not doing any jail time whatsoever i'm going on the run jimmy tells him look i will take care of it i will work my magic but you cannot run he will agrees but only if he doesn't do even a single day of jail time uh, and he invokes the name of D.B. Cooper, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Uh, when he says, nobody gets away with this stuff. Oh, D.B. Cooper did. D.B. Cooper. So r- briefly, if you don't know, D.B. Cooper is a guy who robbed an airplane. I think I believe it was a 727 because they're the ones that have the rear staircase. Proceeded yeah. uh, coming out the tail. Proceeded to go to the tail of the airplane and parachuted away. Incredibly incredibly was never not even not caught but never heard from again like uh-huh. there's not been hide nor ha- ha- hair of this guy uh which and it's funny because there's a lot of amc lore here number one uh db cooper i believe a saw name checked him in season two of uh, breaking bad but also a lot of people thought that that was going to somehow be some kind of don don draper um Right, uh, like like that's how he's going to have it. like you're going to find out he's actually DB Cooper or something. Um, My mind so, yeah. on on DB Cooper always goes back to Justified because he oh, was sure. like a, you know a big part of one of the seasons of that show, which was pretty neat. Right, right, like because they hinted that the sheriff uh, was a sheriff Shelby that was that might have been DB yeah. Cooper or was DB Cooper. It turns <laughs> right. out, yeah, yeah, I forgot about I forgot about that. That's cool too. Uh, all right, since he's not a lawyer, Jimmy goes to Kim with a sleazy plan to get the cop to lose his cool in court so they can get Huel off. Uh, Kim can't bring herself to go along with that plan, but she springs into action to help Jimmy out in her own way. I, I love the long reaction shot. Uh, I mean, I, I do yeah. admire the show taking its time when it's when it's not necessary, and that very long reaction shot of Kim just like, what the fuck? What kind of legal strategy... No, no, like it's it was it was great, and you needed it. You needed it. Uh, you did. And her swinging in action, but then pointedly shutting the door on Jimmy. Like I'll do this, but I want you the fuck away from it because it's it's not going to be pretty, and I don't want to get I don't want to get dr- drugged down by this. Yeah, man, I just I don't see them making it out of this season together. I mean, I look uh-huh. at the the moment where you know Jimmy's describing this plan to her, and she's like. I don't know what planet you're on, and right. I can't go along with that. Let me see what I can do legally. And then, you know, that 
that should be enough by itself. But then when you combine it with the prosecutor that she's talking to later, calling Jimmy essentially what he is, you know, a scumbag, disbarred lawyer who's who's just a sleazy, disgusting guy that nobody likes. That should be enough, right? That should send off the alarm bells. Oh, man, this guy just asked me to do something sleazy. People are calling him sleazy. Maybe he's sleazy, but like she doesn't. She springs into action again to defend him. And I don't quite understand what is what is going to have to happen to get Kim off the Jimmy train. The the pain of the present will have to outweigh the fear of change. <laughs> That's usually what it always comes down to. That for sure. whatever reason, she just doesn't want to go think through it's... this shit of breaking up with this guy right now. Yeah, I guess not. It's it's weird to me because I don't think he's doing anything for her and it, yeah. that's positive. Do you think it's also that she's got like a white knight complex a bit? Like that, you know, Jimmy yeah. is this... Uh, there's a lot of cool... and I'm, I'm cribbing some analysis we're going to get to in feedback, but Jimmy is this lost little puppy that she can't help but like, oh, God, he's so... You know, and, and she takes pity on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels is, like... That, that's all it is now, right? It used to be, oh, Jimmy's so fun. We have a good time together. He makes me laugh. None of that's happening anymore. That's you know? why I think the the passion is out of this relationship. Because, yeah. man, you want to kill a woman's uh, sexual affection for you faster than anything? Make her be your mom. Sure. Make her make her make make her be uh, uh, have to nag you about chores. Make her have to you know cook and clean and keep your mm-hmm. nose out of trouble and remind you of all your adult responsibilities and watch how little you get laid. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like because he is like how how can you mother someone and also be a trap? I mean, I know it, people can. There's a whole thing about all that, and if that's your thing, I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying for the rest of us that don't have any particular kink, like yeah, that's like romance versus like uh, treating someone like a child is not a great sexy combination. No, no, all the fires out of this relationship. I don't know why she's hanging on to it, but yeah. she is. Yeah. Uh, well, so you then, know, the last time we had all the fire out of relationship in the show, there was an actual fire. So we got to be, be careful what, what we're what, what kind of metaphors we're throwing around. Here, Jim. <laughs> Where there's there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. That's that sounds like something. All right, Kim tries to talk Hewell's prosecutor out of jail time, but she won't budge. Even though the facts of the case are kind of dubious, they aren't really exactly enough to put him away for two and a half years. Uh, during the negotiation, the prosecutor calls Jimmy a scumbag, a disbarred lawyer which doesn't please Kim. Uh, afterward, Kim tells Jimmy that the jail time will be reduced, but Huel's going to have to serve some time, and he cannot run. Jimmy says, hey, you do it your way, I'll do it mine, and tells her not to worry, uh, which causes her to worry. And on the way home, Kim gets an idea which somehow involves her buying a mountain of pens and markers, arts and craft supplies. I don't know what's going on here at the end, but yeah, let's talk about it. I would, man, I'd be so infuriated if I, I had a person like Jimmy in my life and I told them, hey, don't do anything stupid like the episode uh-huh. title. Uh, le- I got a plan for this. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do your thing. I'll do yours. Like, wait, wait, motherfucker, you came to me. You came to me. Like, I, I don't, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, and then they're like, because like, are we still with the instant talk theory? that 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 she's going to organize a protest based on essentially uh the the double standards of justice that Huel is experiencing like may or may not involve playing a race card it may just be a simple like this is an unequal application of the law um because it, 
it looks like Kim's got lots of prior case law of priors, um, not mm-hmm. getting, you know, people with prior convictions, not getting this much for assaulting a police officer and people that have assaulted a police officer much worse, breaking their jaw, for example, giving them a concussion, getting less time. Um, yeah. But then again, I, maybe this, you know, you, if I was a prosecutor, I'd be like, well, maybe this is a reaction to those trends and we're trying to, you know, turn things around. I, 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 I don't know. What do you? What do you think of that theory, and do you have any alternates? I mean, it's possible. I don't have a ton of alternate theories. I'm just trying to think of, like, who she could go to, because she needs people for the protest, right? Is she going to go to the homeless? Is she going to go to, like, maybe some of the PPD cases that she's she's fought for in the past? That was my thought. She calls in those favors. Right, right. So maybe I could see that. Uh, I didn't really see a whole lot of big placard-type things going I... into her cart, though, so... I noticed when on second watch that she's buying a lot of generic office supplies, but she's also buying stuff like sniffable markers. Okay. And, I, and I'm like, why the fuck would you show her a close-up insert buying sniffable markers? And then, yeah, I was looking for, like, banners, big sheets of paper, poster boards, st- 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 stuff like that. Maybe, I, I don't know, may- maybe... It, Vince thought it'd be too obvious if they threw that in, but those are the things like there. It seems like you've got a, a real bang up arts and crafts box, but you're missing the necessary thing to make protest signs, which are the the actual sign itself. Yeah, uh, uh, and so. on the insider cast, they did. Uh, you know, they seemed to be saying that this was going to be an extremely clever plan, and I don't think like the internet's first idea of what she's doing is like the most clever thing they could probably come up with in the writer's room. Yeah. So, but... so I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this is where they're going with this. I would say that, but you also got to be careful because, you know, as they mentioned on the insider podcast, they recorded this at the same time. The season was the premiere was being released. Mm-hmm. So there's seven weeks. It's, it's really hard to predict what an audience will and will not pick up on that far away. I could totally see sure, them thinking, sure. Oh, you know, we're getting all this weird out and they're they're going to expect some kind of Walter White shit, but it's actually going to be some kind of civil protest. Like I could see them thinking, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe. And then then it's seeming because like, you know, you also have to compare like like, yeah, maybe a Breaking Bad, bad fan will expect some kind of like Walter White bullshit with Kim. But that's not in her performance envelope. She's not going to take these markers sure. apart and mix them with glitter and make an explosion that she uses in the courtroom, you know, uh-huh. Although uh, a glitter bomb would be amazing in a courtroom. That would be pretty fucking cool. Like, just to totally Batman it out of there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... Uh, but on the other hand, like, what else? Like, the, the thing that kept, me, that kept striking me is that this looked like... All this stuff looked very childish. It was all, it mm-hmm. was all these big Crayola markers and, and crayons and stuff that I associate with not just arts and crafts, but, like, kid arts and crafts. And I'm, I like... The other thing is, like, maybe she could... Like get a like ki- a bunch of kids to write in like that that maybe uh, she's gonna but she's she's gonna perpetrate like he's active in the school or so I I don't know like the, like a big letter writing campaign from children that she'll organize but mm-hmm. that seems stupid and I don't know how she would have that kind of sway over a whole bunch of children you know <laughs> right right she's got a flute in the back of her Audi that she plays and just like <laughs> right. all the, the the town's children and then all Mexico. shit it attracted a bunch of rats never yeah. mind <laughs> forget that <point. laughs> yeah it's just everybody comes from Albuquerque and and goes to the the Schweikert and Coakley and and fills out their card I I don't know I I think the protest is the most likely but I see the problems with it and 
and and yeah. But so I'm trying to keep my expectations low because if it is, I, I, I think it'd be very unfair if it is the protest for the internet to be like, well, that wasn't surprising at all just because we guessed it. Like, you know, yeah. it's all about the execution too. Sure. Uh, that's about all I got. Hey, before we get to feedback, I want to tell everybody about the club, which I have just invited myself to. It's club.baldmove.com. Uh, it supports Bald Move, and you get a lot of cool like premium features, like uh, ad-free podcasts. If you don't like listen to ads, hey, you can sign up for a secure uh, feed that eliminates those ads. Uh, you get VIP access to the forums. Um, every listener gets a pound of moon rocks <laughs> wait, wait, wait. shipped to their house directly from NASA. That, hmm. Okay, no, that doesn't sound right to me. That sounds like a bit extravagant. I, I think you're being cheap, Jim, honestly. No, I don't. Don't call me that. I can't shake that. That's okay. something that stays with you forever. Okay, so no moon rocks. What What are we going to give them then? We've got to give them something. Uh, we can give them instant talk podcasts right after the episode airs. Matching bald move parkas because <laughs> it's going into the winter season and the bald move family needs to keep their, their, their butts warm. We can't even afford to give them matching t-shirts, let alone parkas. All right. Well, then what? we got to have something. Uh, how about live recordings of the podcast that we do uh, actually record? Uh, can can they can they use that to keep warm in the winter? Like if they have a Samsung, a old Samsung phone, they're listening to podcasts and maybe set their pants on fire. Is that something that the club could offer? Uh, yeah, I, I think you you strike up enough podcasts at the same time, maybe it'll set your phone on fire. Also, emotional warmth. I think that's an important thing, and we offer that. All right, so so no moon rocks, no parkas, but some other cool features. Uh, check it out, baldmove.com. Let's get the feedback. BetterCastSaul at gmail.com is where you want to send this. We also have forums. Uh, our forum thread is created each week before the start of the episodes. You can talk uh, things over with your fellow Bald Move fans. Without further delay, Graham H. Uh, this is stuff f- pertaining to the previous episode, Pinata. Last week, you guys were concerned about Gus's monologue, partially due, it to, partially due to it changing how you viewed his character. I believe it actually reveals something that we've seen before in Breaking Bad ethos, that good people who are always bad in some way end up shaping who they become. Uh, and he puts good in quotes here. For example, Walter White was a chemistry teacher and a family man who deep down always had an unrelenting sense of pride and ego when it came in the form of Heisenberg. Jimmy McGill was always a sleazy con man long before he became Saul Goodman. Gus Fring was shown to be a calm, collected businessman, drug slash drug kingpin, yet underneath there are always the signs of a sociopath. So I guess that seems right. Like, you, you don't ever know how Walt Scum and Villainy would have come out, but it does seem like that's a thing that, that Villigan has, that there there is a mean streak in, a, in, in some people. That's just waiting for the and and maybe I don't know, because that seems a little depressing of a worldview. What's your take, Jim? Uh, hmm. I mean, I I think it's pretty accurate, given what we see on the screen of these characters. Yeah. Um, It doesn't seem like the characters change so much as strip away the layers of society in order to get to the root of who they are. Uh, yeah, I can, I can uh, see if, that. If anything, I guess I would amend it to like I could get on board with like everyone has a mean streak of some stripe that under the right circumstances will come out. But like, I don't think the people are born like inherently like this person's just never going to break bad. Like, 
So maybe if they're if that's what you're saying, then sure. But but then you're back to like, well, any anyone given the right circumstances could could break bad, um, and and do bad things. Which I don't, I still don't know if I believe that. But uh, it could be something true in the universe. Uh, Dominic P. Two potential details uh, or de- de- uh, debuts debuttings to your concerns with Gus. My first point is that just because this is a detailed story from Gus doesn't mean that it is in fact the truth. We know Gus is a man of calculated facades. The story could be true or it could be manufactured just to mess with Hector. I don't have any evidence for this. It's just the way I took the scene, that this is probably something manufactured for Hector. What do you think about this? This is not Mr. Robot. (laughs) This is not a show that is intentionally trying to deceive its viewers along with its characters. Uh, I don't think that's very plausible in Better Call Saul. Especially since this doctor is going to give... Gus an incredibly detailed and factual account of the state of Hector's health and I think Hector uh, I don't think Gus believes that Hector can hear him so why the fuck would he manufacture a story for an unconscious man that can't hear him mm-hmm. um, is, is my, my, my debut to the debut uh, the second point uh, is that Aaron is right that Hector appears more d- disillusioned and bored than hungry but maybe that's the audience perception of Hector I think it makes sense that Gus would perceive uh, Hector's actions as being hungry. He appears to Gus as someone hungry for the control and profit that Gus has over his own business and wants a piece of it, and probably respect as well. Uh, Hector is part of an established family, but we know he isn't looked upon too highly by the other Dons. That's a pretty good rebut of my, rebuttal of my debuttal, because uh, while I do think that Hector is bored... His boredom it seems to be acting out and demanding an extra key from Gus and fucking with his transportation just because to keep things interesting for him, honestly. Because just keeping the count north of the border is bo- is boring the shit out of Don Hector. What, what's your analysis, Jim? Mm, yeah, I, I guess I look at Hector as a guy who is very prideful, um, a guy who is hungry, but not in the same way as a lot of people are. Um, he's not hungry for... You know, building the business. He's not hungry for more money. He's hungry for more respect and power, like the like the emailer says. Uh, and he displays that in very strange ways. You know, Gus will will display his hunger for you know what I consider building out this this business uh, in in very calm, cool, calculated, methodical plans. Right? Yeah. Uh, Hector is very much the opposite. Hector will demand, he'll bluster, he'll shout. Uh, he'll essentially force you to do the thing that he wants you to do by just being intimidating and and getting in your face. And it, I, I don't think those two things are very different, honestly. The, the, the approaches to, to trying to get what they want are very different, but in the end, like, the the idea of, hey, I want power and respect versus, hey, I want power influence and money that's not that's not very much different right right uh brian s wanted to point out a subtle glimpse given by the villa gang into the characters of chuck howard and kim when chuck returns triumphant kim celebrates chuck's successful employment of obscure case law kim says howard thought the case was unwinnable kim then asked chuck if chuck had considered an alternate theory namely the continuing enterprise exception chuck approves of kim's analysis and says that her theory would have worked this may or may not have been intended by the Villa Gang, but Kim's theory is an expression of a more straightforward and fairly regular tenet of corporate law, successor liability. If this is intended by the Villa Gang, we can glean the following, that one, Chuck prefers to win using obscure and esoteric case law because it makes Chuck look like a genius, 
Two, Chuck is expensive, perhaps needlessly. Three, Howard is not a great lawyer. And four, Kim is a good student looking to impress Chuck, but unknowingly risks exposing him. Uh, he mentions that though he does not practice in New Mexico, he is an attorney and he assumes these principles are similar enough. I thought this is like, I do know that I forget who it is. It might've been Peter Gould's sister-in-law is a pretty prominent lawyer that they lean like, like, you know, they do a lot of like, Hey, we got like the rough outlines of how do we tell this story? Like, how do you, what's a, what's a CV of a very uh, impressive lawyer? Is this kind of legal? And she gives him their opinion um, I wonder if they intended that because this is a pretty good analysis of a throwaway scene to show like, you know, like we talk about Hector being bored. So he fucks with Gus to, to like maybe Chuck is really bored because he's a genius lawyer and he just goes these more obscure things because he knows it'll be more feathers in his bed and notches on his belt um, and more impressive to people than Could a straightforward be. just victory. Yeah, I do think um I was listening to the Insider podcast for that episode, and they were talking about this scene and how they rewrote it basically three times. First time, it was a little too exciting. The second time, it was a little too legally, so most laymen probably wouldn't understand it. Uh, third time, they got it just right, like Goldilocks. But their their intention here was to show that Kim... It was for Kim to come to Chuck and show that she knew something without trying to say hey you might have been uh you you might have done this wrong you might have done anything wrong right yeah uh so their intention was i think the exact opposite of what the emailer is implying Mm. uh which is that kim is maybe exposing a weakness in chuck i think it was more like she was trying not to say hey i'm a fucking know-it-all uh, look at me, I'm awesome. And mm. instead, she was just trying to get enough information on the table for Chuck to think that she is good. So I, I don't know where to come down on this, honestly. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Because well, I, mean, I do see the, the emailer's point, right? Intent is, I mean, I, you, you, death of the author, et cetera. You can, you can make whatever literary criticism that's valid from the context of the scene. So I don't think it's, it's, it's invalid, but I just thought it was uh, uh, kind of a... A, a, a nice a, a nice a nice theory a nice a legal theory about what they were trying to do uh in that scene mm-hmm. um moving on justin p from uh san fran has a theory about kim that does not involve her giving blow jays for meth in a parking lot of a hotel uh-huh I had a thought about what could happen to kim and how she as many suspect could be the thing that pushes jimmy over the saw cliff what if Kim ends up with Howard? All right. First reaction, Jim. I'm, I'm seeing a shaking of a head. I'm seeing a rueful smile. Disgusting. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a happy face here from Jim. Uh, so Justin's ready for it. He goes, I know what you're probably thinking, but this is not just wild conjecture. Conjecture. It's reckless speculation, but it's not entirely impossible. <laughs> we know Kim is a sucker for a guy down on his luck, and right now... Howard is vulnerable, and that's something Kim might arguably be drawn to. We always assume that Jimmy is going to blow it with her, but the downfall of Kim's relationship being the result or decision and uh, not his isn't the a kind of head fake the villain is entirely above. This is the kind of thing that could turn Jimmy into Saul. This is the kind of thing that maintains the audience's understanding of Saul as a sort of an earnest bastard. So he, t- he turns to Saul because he's spurned by his love, uh, by the unwashed asshole of Howard. I actually... I actually like this theory a lot because <laughs> it it is something that we've noticed about Kim is that she kind of goes for these tough luck cases 
well, Howard is the tough luck case that's actually trying to better himself. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, because I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to draw, the more I've been thinking about it, to draw a straight line between Jimmy owning the refusal to go to therapy and Kim bailing out of the plan. You know, because like, oh shit, this guy, not only does he not intend to change, he's incapable of using the tool set of change. Red alert, I'm not getting any further in this relationship. And Jimmy's reaction to that is why he started pulling back from the truth to this like nine months extreme of not even telling her that, oh, by the way, I'm dipping out in the middle of the day and night to sell burner phones on the street. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't. Know, does that, any of that make you like, the, like it a little bit better? I don't know that Jimmy uh, feeling spurned requires a Howard in the mix. Uh, it requires Kim getting fed up altogether with the shit that Jimmy's pulling and breaking it off. Yeah. And I don't know. I just don't. Th- there's nobody on this show that I could see Kim being with. Hmm. It, I... it would have to be some entity outside of the characters we've already seen. I... I, I've expressed admiration for Howard. I think he is a good man. Uh-huh. And I actually think he and Kim would be cute together and be happy. And also, the other thing I like about it is, like, Kim blew him up, like, three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. In a way that I've seen her blow Kimmy, Jim up, Jimmy about two or three times. Howard actually took it to heart. He's got his ass in therapy. He's trying to work through some shit. You know, Jimmy just always tries to find an easy way out. I can see that be very attractive to, to her. By the way, what I think is crazy is I got two Justins, one Justin P, one Justin E, five hours apart talking about this theory. There's something in the Justin water of this country because he's, he's got some extra firepower. This is Justin Z's take. Uh, by the way, why is it that Howard is at the courthouse all of a sudden anyway? He is the head of a law firm with plenty of lawyers. Maybe he's trying to get back into the routine is failing miserably. I think Kim will see Howard at the courthouse and be overcome with his current emotional state. Eventually, they have an informal personal meeting, and they will bond over the dysfunctional relationship with the McGill brothers. And then he goes into a whole bunch of fan fiction from that. But that's, like, the other thing is, like, suddenly, in a way we've never seen him before, Howard is at the courthouse. Kim is suddenly at the courthouse in a way we've never seen her before. That, if you start thinking about this as a Hollywood production that's been scripted, that is an interesting nexus of locality for these characters. I don't, I don't think I need a script or some conspiracy theory to talk, to speculate why a lawyer would be at a courthouse. Like, sure. It, it, after the death of the major partner who we've seen in the courthouse many, many times, why is it a stretch that the, the only remaining partner of this firm that's actually practicing would be in a courthouse? It's not a stretch. I mean, they're just saying that, like, But why do we need special circumstances? It's like, okay, we haven't seen Howard there before. That doesn't mean he wasn't doing it. And B, when you lose your other partner, somebody's got to step up and be the partner going to the the big court cases, right? That's him. Of course, the rebut to that is Chuck hasn't been in the courthouse for quite some time. That's not true. That's not true. He went in with Mesa Verde. He was in the courthouse. You're right, but I'm saying that's, like, surely in the previous seasons before season three, Howard was, if if Howard was having to be the war horse in the courtroom... We would have seen him. I don't know. Like I said, it's it's a, you know Jim, Jim hates your theories, Justin's. Okay, I hate all, I hate all theories equally. Let's they're, just they're, get they're that bad out there. theories, and he wants them out of his podcast. So <laughs> let's move on to Jeff. We're in, we're in a real J right here between Justin, oh Justin, Jim, and Jeff. Uh, here's something I've heard discussed that's been bothering me. Why the hell would Gus just start threatening parables to Hector while he's in a coma? Obviously, we're used to seeing him torment Hector in Breaking Bad, but. 
Uh, that if that's at, what he's after, he's already basically stranded in a nursing home with little to no options for a course against Gus because he couldn't even speak. The cousin's already dead, and Gus was far along in his plan of destroying the rest of the cartel. Now it's better call Saul. For all Gus knows, Hector could wake up, wake up from his coma and immediately tell the rest of the cartel that Gus has been visiting him and making overly violent implications. All right, let me stop you right here. Again, he has a world-renowned doctor from Johns Hopkins giving him daily updates onto Hector's health. There's no fucking way this guy just wakes up with perfect recall of the last five minutes of conversation and then tells the cartel... In, 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 in a way that he can't even speak because this is 10 months ago, right? Like, it was the, the, I, I, the I'm not yeah. buying this one, one, one bit. Like, yeah. there's operational security and being paranoid, and then there's, like, you know, what if a deeply crippled man who couldn't speak if he wanted to overheard me during a... where When he's running 104-degree fever fighting off an infection for his life. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just think you're supposed to trust that the Johns Hopkins doctor is not going to miss a sudden miraculous reversal like that. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, Michael B. Insignificant aside here, but on the most recent cast, Aaron said the kid Todd killed was the first time Mike saw someone get barreled. But didn't they dispose of Victor using the acid during the box cutter episode? If so, Mike would have already known about the acid in the barrel. Yeah, you got me. Uh, I forgot that the the second barreling that Mike was witness to was the boy. The first one was Victor. So uh, I goofed. I goofed Mia culpa. Um, Richard from Austin, Texas, in an email last week, it suggested that Saul had gotten Emilio off in two cases when the cops had him dead to rights. But if I remember correctly, wasn't it established that he was an informant for the cops in Breaking Bad? I may be remembering it wrong, but that would explain Saul's surprising ability to get him out of trouble. You're goddamn right. Uh You are right. So Saul bragging or Jesse bragging about him getting Emilio off is like next level meta bullshit. And yeah. hilarious. I, it's, it's, he's, he's taking credit for the cops letting him go. Uh-huh. That's, some, that's, some, that's really funny. That's really yeah, that, funny. I'm glad you pointed it out. It's definitely some shit that Jimmy or Saul would do. Right, 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 right. Yeah, oh, look at this guy. And, and Jesse being too stupid to know uh, mm-hmm. who is the snitch the whole time. Uh, Richard from Austin. Or wait, no, that's the one I just read. Uh, on to some new stuff about the new episode. Dr. Goodman, our old buddy, writes in... German rest and relaxation. Could this be the turn of Wendy, proving once and for all it's not Kim? You'd like to think that. You'd yeah. like to think that Kim's not going to break bad in a Wendy f- in fashion. But we'll see. I mean, yeah, absolutely. If we see Wendy in this timeline, proof positive. Unless Kim has an identical twin sister from Kansas City <laughs> that somehow gets roped into this. I mean, it's you know, it's it's Dead Man's Brew. I'll, I'll keep pivoting. I'll keep pivoting till I find find my truth. It's what you do with a good theory. That's right. <laughs> you never change your mind as nope. a result of new evidence or new ways of thinking. You just rigidly try to find a rear guard protection for your current way of thinking. Double Barry down. C- Barry C. from the UK. Given the extreme links Mike and Gus have gone through to make sure the Germans do not know where they are, in this episode it's made very clear that Werner knows, uh, Werner knows both Mike and Gus's full names. I know the show is not quite set in the digital age where we all have digital footprints and can Google everything, but this does seem like a massive oversight by Gus. Surely they should put calling him something like Mr. Blue and Mr. Pink. Uh, if caught, the Germans could just give the name of the guy that employed them to the police. We talked about this a little last week that, you know, like you're either going to kill these guys at the end of this project or you're going to let them go and trust them to be 
criminally professional, and also they don't know the location. It does seem absurd that they're keeping these guys completely in the dark about where they're working from, but they're also... Like Gus Fring, I'm sure in this universe you could Google, and a top-line result would be his picture next to a Los Pollos Hermanos sign and identifying him as the largest chicken fryer you know, in, in, in Albuquerque. Like... Mm-hmm. It does seem a little silly, and I'm not sure why. I mean, I know that the, the part of it is that they were, they're for some reason, really wanting to sell this this Mike and, and Werner friendship, which I think is bad for Werner because I think that Mike is going to have to do something, maybe take a full measure against him that he, that he really doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we I brought this up in that very first episode where we, we meet Werner where – Gus gives him his full name. I was like, why would he do that? He there, there's absolutely no reason to do that that I can that I can think of. No, I it's that's it's, not pertinent information. So why give it to him? In fact, it would be kind of cool if Gus and Mike didn't give them their names, but they show ten months in that Gus or the Mike and and Werner have become such good buddies that Mike has kind of gotten sloppy about it, and that ends up being a big problem later on. But no, they're just like, well, I've absolute airtight security for everything except for we'll use our full real names it doesn't make sense i would love to see if there's a plot point that requires them knowing their names and you know that it's like i i mean i i think i'm starting to talk myself into the fact that gus is just gonna kill these guys yeah i mean as much as i've played devil's advocate for the other side of that um i i don't know why you give them their name if you're not planning on killing them yeah yeah so which then is Mike on board with that? Because that would definitely change my take on, on Mike because either if, if that goes down, it's I'm, I'm going to like, I, how are they going to make me not think that Mike's look of shock and dismay at Victor having his throat slit is not, is, is in character with Mike because Gus right. absolutely hires someone care for them for a year and a half and then slit their throats. And thanks like, I don't know. I'm I'm troubled. I'm I'm curious to see how they get themselves out of this painted corner. Well, let me uh, throw one more advocation out there. What if yep. this is Gus's way of of showing Werner that essentially there is a contract in place here, and you know we're we're trusting you to do a job, and you're trusting us just as much not to blow up your spot, like because you're doing something illegal here too, you know. Uh, we don't have zoning permits for this shit. You could get your license revoked. You're never going to work in America again. Nah, he's a, he's an old school Nazi miner on the on the run. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. We're, uh, man, the he famous, is real young. The famous yeah. Nazi mines. Oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah, the, of the, the '60s, of the Ver, late he's '60s. Von Braun of of mining, <laughs> right? Uh, so maybe that's the way it, Gus is showing this mutual trust. Hmm. I don't know. Right. I'm advocating. I don't really think that's true, but. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, like I said, I, I did, it wasn't on my radar that Gus was a dyed-in-the-wool sociopath until two episodes ago. So, mm-hmm. what are you going to do, James V? In Breaking Bad, there's at least two occasions. Okay, this is we talked. We had a brief discussion about Belize versus Guatemala and whether it's unjustified yeah, or not. Right. James got the scoop. In Breaking yeah. Bad, there's at least two occasions when Saul talks to Walton, suggests someone should be sent to Belize, which is codes uh, Saul's code uh, speak for going into the barrel. Mm-hmm. He's probably and justifiably concerned that his office is bugged, so when he speaks to Walt about solving his problems, he refers to Belize as the final solution. 
Uh, he sends us those links, and he said all of this back and forth about Belize led to the Belizean Tourism Board releasing a video inviting the entire cast of Breaking Bad to – he's like, I know that no one in Breaking Bad wants to go to Belize, but we think you've been working hard, and it's a great show, and I, and we, you should come to Belize. I've been to Belize. It's a beautiful country. Everyone should go to Belize. Uh a plus marketing on the uh, on the tourism board's behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, James also said the laundry workers are definitely not sent to Belize. He thought it was Guatemala too, although he yeah. said that could be an extended metaphor since those countries in fact share a border. So I Gus, don't know. Gus, Gus has Gus. trust in his employees, right? They're doing this, you know, privately from outside eyes but very publicly on the internal side right all of the the people working in the laundry know what's up and we see that in breaking bad we see you know they can't really hide it here while the laundry is in operation so uh i I think he trusts his employees very much yeah i was like there's some speculation i saw where that like all these employees could be cartel related somehow they could be illegal immigrants so they're completely Mm -hmm. at gus's mercy um you know, or they could be even if they're illegal, they could rely on him for green card status. So if he he fires them and has them deported, then there's nothing. They none of them speak. They also establish that none of them speak English. So there's a lot of exploitative things you could do to a workforce like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I I think that the internal security is pretty, probably pretty tight. Uh, all right, Jim J J Johnson wants to wants to blow up Verner's spot. So let me offer. Let me off. Huh. Talk about the Jays. Good yeah. Lord. Right. He's got, got that's, that's a structurally sound name with all those Jays reinforcing it. It's true. Like, that thing can stand up the Category 5 hurricane winds. Uh, he goes, let me offer my services as an official structure engineer for Bald Move. In my new role, let me point out how ridiculous this hidden construction of the Super Lab is. There's simply no way you can simply start excavating on a slab on grade. It's far too under-reinforced when it simply collapses under its own weight. The temporary shoring is spaced much too far apart, and why in the hell is it not attached to the slab above and to the basement level? Not to mention there's simply no way to remove all that soil without getting noticed. It's simply impossible. And this is why it sucks to watch a fictional show based on your <laughs> your chosen form of employment, because it almost always disappoints you. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder how much reinforcement you'd have to do. Like, if it's so tight, you wouldn't even be able to get a bobcat down there. If it'd be twice as many structural supports, or if it's just, like, there's just no fucking way you can do it. Right. Um, But anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Sam W. says, um, uh, he has an issue with us. I mean, this is a lot of people taking issue with our characterization of Gus. But he goes, I think by the time Mike sees Victor killed in Breaking Bad, he would have had to have seen plenty of violence and shocking acts by Gus. His reaction can easily be explained as a total shock of someone who is was so loyal to Gus for at least five years at this point in 2008-2009, but nonetheless was brutally murdered to make a point or cover loose ends. Thus, I believe murder of the Germans remains heavily on the table, especially since Mike appears to be developing a friendship with the bad guy. Okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I was very much against it three episodes ago. I'm warming up to it because Gus mm-hmm. seems like he would absolutely do it. Mike seems, you know, I don't know. Uh, that, that's the big problem, the Mike reaction uh, to a guy who he thinks is stand-up and has done his end of the bargain and how how are you going to sell me that Gus is okay with with or with with, with Mike being okay with Gus treating his employees like that when he himself is an employee? Yeah, yeah. It seems like something a careful, thoughtful guy like Mike would would maybe uh, 
hey, uh, Ky- uh, you know, Stacy and Kylie, we gotta we gotta pick up and move. Don't ask Grandpa why. Mm-hmm. Just just pack your bags, sweetheart. We gotta move. We gotta leave by midnight. <laughs> um, Jeff H from L.A. Uh, the cold opening fully set the context for this episode. As the time passed, Jimmy and Kim start out together. They spend their time together when at home, but each in their own world. But as the montage goes on, we can see they even reach across the black bar to interact with each other. They're not in the same world anymore mentally or emotionally, but their worlds still overlapped. We even get to see Saul make his first appearance along with a full wardrobe of awesome tracksuits. By the end of the montage, we see they're out of sync. Their worlds do not overlap anymore, and finally Kim fades out while Jimmy can't sleep, symbolizing her path and no longer being able to be alongside Jimmy. I think the fact that he can't sleep shows it uh, shows it's at his own doing, and he will be guilty about driving her away when it's all said and done. Yeah, I when I said before in the Instant Talk podcast that like it's a guy like Jimmy's mo to just essentially keep ratching up the bullshit. It's, it's the exact same scam he ran on the law firm where he got the Coco Bolo mm-hmm. uh, desk. Like I don't want to be fired, or I don't want to quit. I want you to fire me. So he yeah. just. You know, ran the juicer without the lid, took loud, messy, non-flushing dumps in the toilet instead of just being like, this ain't for me. I think he's doing the same thing for Kim. He's doing things that he knows that she won't approve of behind her back so that when she finally snaps, he can be like, well, you know, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird um, it's a weird thing because you're intentionally causing the disruptions that lead to the outcome that you don't want. Uh and yet, once you get that outcome, you're not willing to look back on those disruptions that you intentionally caused and right. take and, and own those, you know? Right. You look back on them and say, well, uh, you know, I, I was just doing my thing. None of that was, yeah. you know, none of that was caused for this. I was just being me. She couldn't handle it. No, I, I right. mean, that's why therapy is important and useful so you, you don't get in those spirals of, like, you know, being trapped in the same fucking place over and over and over and over again. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. It's, it's what you call maladaptive. Um, uh, Jeff also says I thought it was interesting that Jimmy was not satisfied with money. This is not where he cons for. He cons for emotional capital. Coming out on top of a mark, feeling like he's the ultimate shark that he can make magic and use his charm to get his way. When things are humdrum, even if he's sitting on a bunch of cash and sold out burners, he's bored to tears and even depressed. It's the best thing of his adversaries, emotionally manipulating them into seeing it his way that gets him off. Uh, this probably ties into his complex with his dad being a mark and his brother being the glorious one. However, Chuck could never prevent his father from being a sucker. Jimmy could. In his mind, Jimmy is the unsung hero that deserves praise for his skills, but always has had been dealt a hard break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I buy that psychological analysis of the man. Why not? Um, I do wonder, like... What I, I, if it would be interesting, like, what is the actual psychology behind a, a person that you know blow like, like, fears like something being destroyed, so they act to destroy it almost in a way it's almost like, well, at least I'm in control, like, like, this thing's gonna fly apart, but I, I've got control over the how and when and why. It's kind of like where, why people prefer to drive instead of fly because even though flying's safer, they're in control. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So armchair psychologist, what, what do you think about that? Uh, or real psychologist, preferably. Marina J. I predict instead of tearing the cop down, Kim intends on going after the opposing counsel. Ah, so here's an alternate non, 
uh, non-protest based strategy. She's already done some of her research, and everything she could she's purchased looks like the sort of things you'd pick up if you intended on uh, organizing corpious amounts of information. Oh, she's doing like a crazy carry homeland style red yarn. It all means something, kind of bored, huh? Where's the red yarn? If she didn't get any red yarn, there's no fucking way she's doing that. Uh, I think she wants to illustrate the opposing counsel's unethical behavior when asking for sentences. In addition to that, opposing counsel still called Jimmy a gumbag or a scumbag, not a gumbag. <laughs> uh, that's that's I don't know. That seems like an insult, but a kind of benign when you're a gumbag. Yeah, you it's, know? it's somehow almost grosser than scumbag i don't right. know because like, i'm a lot I'm of gum and stayed gum. in your gut for seven years you're just a yeah just a gum bag you fucker um even though they've become distant they're still dating and jimmy is kim's old friend calling jimmy a scumbag is also an insult about kim's choice and partner even if the slight was unintentional this could be kim's way of telling herself and others this attorney isn't exactly a paragon of virtue herself the attorney made this personal i don't think kim is going to let that go what do you think Jim, is Kim going to take this personal even though the lawyer didn't intend it to be, or what? Uh, yeah, I do think she takes that slight against Jimmy personally because she, for whatever reason, is still emotionally invested in their relationship, uh, you know, at, at least a little bit. Um, as far as, like, her plan to organize copious amounts of information, does this go back to that uh, opening last week or a couple weeks ago um you know where she tries to impress chuck with with her knowledge and and says how great he is for looking up this super obscure case law and maybe she's gonna go real deep on the law and just figure out the loophole here the legal loophole the thing that she doesn't view as sleazy it's her job yeah but what the fuck would it have to do with all those office supplies like I that's where know. I keep coming back to like i all all these theories seem plausible, but the it's it's trying to explain what we know about it um yeah. because yeah, like there's a lot to the the pin that right like the fact that she took to her legal assistant to get us all the case law about assaulting an officer in New Mexico and Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 also like why tell the beginning story? Why throw that detail into the story that is, exists? Uh, that essentially the cold open existed to tell us that Jim Jimmy unequivocally became a lawyer to impress both his future girlfriend and his brother. Yeah, uh, why throw in that detail about you know Kim being eager about finding these obscure solutions or admiring them if if that's not going to pay off later? So I don't know. Uh, it's, it's it's a real puzzle because like it doesn't seem like anything quite fits all the facts yet. Yeah. Uh, getting towards the end here, uh, Jimmy or Jordan says, uh, "Bald move is pretty much my only source for TV coverage." So I'm not sure if your thoughts about them changing Gus is a prevalent thought or only a bald move thing. Well, since we're your only source, let me tell you that we set the <laughs> internet on fire and no one can stop talking about Aaron and Jim's theory about Gus being a psychopath. Like it's 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 in Vanity Fair. Joanna Robinson's biting us. It's it's like it's no one can stop talking about it. We are a cultural phenomenon that has no rival on the internet or really traditional print media. Yeah. So no, you're, that's you're, that. You're absolutely uh, right. And the best part is he'll never know the difference because he only right. pays attention to our stuff. So right. Yeah. And I would and you. Yeah, I would obviously never abuse that that no. position of trust and, and and authority in your eyes. Uh, but let me tell. Let me catch you. Let me catch you on on what everybody else is saying. Uh, anyway, uh, Jordan says. Uh, I've always seen Gus as a psychopathic monster hiding behind a great disguise. 
The first obvious point is how he dealt with Victor, but there's a bunch of other things that made me think he's a scary dude. I've always seen him someone that if you fuck with him, he'll return it tenfold. Look, he had dealt with Don Juan, Don Eladio, Don Hector. Remember the infamous, I will kill your wife, I will kill your son, I will kill your infant daughter. There is also a bunch of more ambiguous stuff, like the fact that he was probably fine employing children to sell his drugs and likely ordered the murder of the child. There's also a cleaning woman who basically or probably never made it back to Guatemala. I also think everything we've seen of Gus and Better Call Saul is pretty much in line with Gus and Breaking Bad. So it says, I hate to take away more Internet points for something that's probably never going to happen anyway. But did you subconsciously steal the Kim slash Wendy theory from a listener? I rewatched uh, Better Call Saul and listened to your podcast over the last year. And the theory is brought up last season. Ah, shit. No, like I said last last episode, I definitely saw that it, it at least originated uh, around episode 406, 406, or 306, 307 last year on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And I also wouldn't put it past our listeners to crib from Reddit or the I cur- like like. Yeah, I mean, obviously doing this podcast, stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, Reddit, our listeners and all that stuff. I come up with some good stuff myself from on occasion, but. Yeah, if I if I ever steal a theory, it's just because I forgot that I heard it. And to be <laughs> fair, this shit's been off the air for a lot like a long time, so I had an extra long time to forget all my bullshit from the previous season. Yeah, this is why like this pursuit of internet points is such a bullshit endeavor. Because like, right. look, I get it when historians go back through letters of old and try and unearth new facts about like what Benjamin fucking Franklin was thinking, you know. D- 200 years ago but he was all in on the windy theory by the way <laughs> he was all in on that but <laughs> the, the 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 payoff for like so everybody has disparate information right like nobody uh, ever actually knows the very beginning of a theory and once you do go back and try to do historical research for whatever the fuck that means on reddit uh to figure out who had the theory first it's like who cares who who fucking cares? Yeah. You know? Like, the, the internet points is such a dumb concept. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny, especially in, like, because I, writing uh, my Game of Thrones book, um, I went back, because I remembered a couple theories from, like, years ago. I couldn't remember the attribution, so I went back and tried to find the original threads, mm-hmm. and I did, <clears throat> but I couldn't attribute it because it's, like, uh, written by you slash deleted. Right, like, right. You know, it's like... Uh, <sighs> It's tough. It's tough. They, they and posted like, one too many naked pictures of themselves and decided, eh, I don't want to do that anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So they were ashamed about the Roose Bolton theory and the fact that they posted their dick on the internet and they're <laughs> right. they're bailing on both. So it's like it's it is it is tough and like in the internet age, like these internet points are like t- like you know tears in the rain anyway. They're just going to mm-hmm. be washed away as fast as you accumulate them. So I, I will admit the. Uh, the sort of deliciousness of someone who has no internet points talking to someone who has eight internet points yes. saying that internet points are complete bullshit. Yes. I will acknowledge that. Yes. Yes. Especially, especially when we're like, how, how, like this is a real, like, you know, Dorothy calling out the man behind the curtain moment. Cause we're his only source of TV information and we have eight <laughs> internet points. He has no internet points. Like how, how, oh, how I dare you me. pay no attention to this man behind the microphone. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that, Jordan. Let's move on to the final email. This is Reginald. He is going to make the case that Jimmy was defending himself at the Schweiker Coakley winter Christmas. Like, what, what is this? Like a pre-Christmas party? Whatever. Pre, pre-retreat party, uh, 2003 or maybe 2004, whatever the year it is. 
Uh, in the episode, Something Stupid, Reginald begins. Jimmy stood up to a bully, but he's being slammed for defending himself. Many have criticized Jimmy for his actions at the party, but it was Schweikert who drew first blood. Jimmy had been a model citizen the whole night. He remembered everyone's name, was complimentary, and he made people laugh. How many wives or girlfriends would love to have their partner schmooze her coworkers so well? But Tim, Jimmy also didn't barge into the discussion. He was politely stu- wa- uh, walked up and stood silently next to Kim. She was the one who invited him to the conversation about the company's retreats. Then when Jimmy lightheartedly goes along with the flow of their little gab fest, gab fest Schweikert has to make that crack about the retreat being for employees only, emphasizing the point that you're not one of us. While true, Schweikert didn't need to say it, so why did he? He's being a sarcastic asshole at Jimmy's expense. Schweikert encourages Jimmy to say what's on his mind, but every time Jimmy shares his opinion, Schweikert has something negative to say. He shows his true colors when he gets visibly angry and directly lashes out at Jimmy when he later brings up Aspen. And at this point, Jimmy lets Schweikert have it with both barrels. Maybe you could have been the bigger man and walked away, but you can't blame Jimmy for finishing a fight that he didn't start. He did start. He did absolutely start this fight. When he walks up and they're talking about the retreat, he goes, when are we going? Huh? When do we leave? Mm. Implying that he's inviting himself. He fucking invited himself on this company retreat that he knew was a company retreat. And and Schweikert rightfully pointed out it's for employees only. I do think it's pretty fucking cheap. To have an employee outing and not at least invite their significant others. Unless like, you're going to Aspen, then it's fucking expensive. <laughs> well, yeah, and how many buses are you going to, like, and all their kids, too? But, like, yeah, I, so, yeah, maybe maybe there's an underlying brittleness here to Schweikert that he didn't, he, he, he kind of sees himself as cheap, or maybe that's something that his employees have needled him about low these many years, especially when you think of HH&M. I bet mm-hmm. HH&M had some pretty swanky retreats. Yeah. Uh yeah, maybe maybe there's but I but but I think that like here's where I'm come down is like maybe Jimmy could have been the bigger man. Absolutely. Jimmy let himself get a little too in his cups and a little too chesty with Schweikert and whatever you do, you cannot get in a fight with your girlfriend's boss at the company party. Like mm-hmm. that's a bright red line that no matter what kind of like Schweiker punches him in the face, fine. But it would have to take that kind of insult to want to get down and wrestle in the mud with, again, your girlfriend's boss, the owner of the company, at his own fucking company event. Like, mm-hmm. even, yeah, even if I grant that Schweiker is being kind of an asshole, which is not hard to do because Schweiker's always strike me as a little bit of an asshole. Still, that's a that's a party foul, plain and simple, by Jimmy. That's a relationship foul by Jimmy. And it's, you know, he commits them left and right. So he's the fucking Detroit Pistons of the 80s when it comes to personal fouls uh, and relationships here. I, I, I do think I'm defending Schweiker a bit much here, but I, I really do think that, you know, Jimmy started this train of thought of by inviting himself. However, I got to say, all of this is banter, right? Like, yeah. none of this is meant to be taken seriously. When Jimmy yeah. says, hey, when are we going? He knows full well that he's... He's making a joke about, hey, I'm coming on this retreat, guys. Ha, ha, ha. And Schweikert says, ha, ha, ha. No, you're not. It's for employees only. These are all jokes. This is all banter. This is party talk. None of this is to be taken seriously. And Jimmy goes way, way, way overboard with that. He's the one at fault here. Because, like, I think Schweikert is a little brittle. Like I said in my analysis, I, I would buy that he's a little sensitive to being called cheap. But... Jimmy certainly found that weakness and 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 sunk the needle as deep as he could in his needle. And so, mm-hmm. and again, at the end of the day, if you get in a fight with your 
with your wife's boss and you're leaving the party and you're riding in silence instead of going home and cuddling and making love or doing whatever you do after a triumphant successful night out you done lost you done fucked up i mean mm-hmm. schweikert maybe he's going home have a bad night too but you're definitely having a bad night so and i think about the d- dynamic like what like let's say your analysis is correct and schweikert is bullying jimmy imagine how he looks to kim if he comes out of there with his head held high like of course then he wouldn't be the man that jimmy is and things would be a lot better but like i'm just saying you could easily see that like kim would be like wow you know Schweiker was a little, like got a little out of hand and maybe was uh, disrespectful a little bit, but I really appreciate you call, you you uh, you know keeping your cool, and that didn't happen obviously. Uh, I got a question for you. Do you yeah. think Jimmy was the only partner at this event? Because I don't recall seeing anybody else's significant other or. How would you know though? Because it's a pretty well, it there like were... it was pretty mixed as far as like well, well, you know, gender the group. Event. The group of people that he goes up to with the hors d'oeuvres or whatever, right? Uh-huh. And he's handing them out. There's, like, one person there who we don't know. Uh, well, there are several we don't know, but there's one person there we don't know the status of. There's Kim. There's uh, this one guy who worked through lunch, and so he gets to, so we know he's an employee. Uh, there's Kim's paralegal. And th- there's that one other person who we don't know. So, like, and we don't see Schweikert with anybody. We just kind of see a group of people standing around. All of them see seem to be deferring to Schweikert, implying that he's their boss. I don't know that Jimmy is even meant to be at this thing, and that Kim might have not not have taken him into a sort of lion's den here. Man, that's bad. I mean, that I find nothing wrong with your analysis, other than I don't believe Kim would have taken him if she had known it was employees only. That might so, be true. Yeah. Because, like, you imagine her, like, oh, they said it's for employees. Fuck it. I'm going to bring my significant other, especially a loaded gun like Jimmy. That doesn't uh-huh. seem like her. But, yeah, I can't fault the rest of your analysis. It, it does seem weird, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be a major faux pas for her then, too. Um, yeah. And maybe that explains why Schweikert's a little, like, yeah, I'm, you're not weaseling your way into your trip the way you weaseled your way into my open bar, you fucker. Right. Have some more goose pate, you son of a disbarred <laughs> son of a bitch. Or suspended, I'm sorry. You're not disbarred, suspended. I don't know all the details. Um, all right. Uh, that's all the feedback we got. Uh, thank you very much for listening thus far. If you've gotten here, if you'd like to send in any feedback about this, uh, podcast or the show itself you can always do so at better at baldmove.com and don't forget our forums forums.baldmove.com uh we'll be back next week of course monday night we have the instant take podcast if you're not a club member if you are a club member feel free to click through after the first airing at 9 p.m eastern standard time uh feel free to click through and join our live discussion of the show and participate it's probably 10 p.m and it's after the show right not during the show you're right. I'm okay. sorry. It's after the showing at nine, which would end at ten. Actually, I've yeah. heard that this this episode uh, is rumored to be like an hour fifteen, hour twenty. Okay. Wow. So we, we might it might be because like this was a pretty short episode. We may, may they're, they're, they might be saving some uh, some powder for the the finales. Um, but regardless, you guys know when the show's over, and everyone's mm-hmm. watching the show instead of waiting for our shit to queue up. So just, yeah, whenever it's over, head on over to baldmove.com. If you're a club member, click through. Uh, if you're not a club member, the instant take will be out uh, a little bit later. Um, and that's it. We'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.